Thank you for tuning in to Cobblestone Community Church today. We hope this message blesses you. If you need prayer for anything, please email us at prayer at cobblestonechurch.com. Now here's the message. Don't talk about where you struggle. Don't talk about where you're struggling. Don't talk about where you're sad, where you're in despair, where you're like, what is God doing? Don't talk like that. Always talk faith and always talk joy. Anything else is a lack of faith. That's a lie. Because what happens is we get sad or catastrophe hits, cancer diagnosis happens, the baby gets lost. And what we've been taught is go off by yourself. Hide in the darkness and shove all that stuff. But when you shove all that stuff, you know what it does? It becomes like a form of spiritual cancer. It becomes bitterness. And so I want, all I want from all of you today is to be stupid honest with God. I mean, just like you are with your friends. Like, he's our heavenly father. Talk to him like that. And what Jeremiah is going to image for us is all of that and more. You're going to be like, wow, can you stop reading his feelings? Because they're pretty, they're pretty bleak. And this is the book of Lamentations. It's kind of bookend. Chapter 1 and 2 are real like, it's all bad. Chapters 4 and 5, they're also, it's real bad. Chapter 3 is the one we all like to quote. So it, 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 I guess it could be like a mountain. I don't know if you want to put it that way. But it actually is a beautiful thing, and it's a poem. It's a Hebrew poem, and it's an acrostic based on their alphabet. And so the first two books, or the first two chapters, are 22 verses. But then in chapter 3, it's 66 verses, three verses for each letter of the Hebrew alphabet. So you all have your Hebrew Bibles? No. They would have sung this. They would have actually sung this as a song. Like, woe is me, we're all in despair, God hates us. That's the song of chapters one and two. And then in chapter three, we're going to study chapter three longer today. But since it's going to be kind of a bleak day, I want to start in something new that we've never done, and I'm going to have to ask you to do something that's a little bit, I'm going to have you talk to each other here in a second, okay? So introverts, sweat with me. I'm so nervous too. (laughs) We talk a lot about testimony here, and I've been hearing it a lot from a man named Mike Shea. Like, we must testify. And I think what we need to do is take testimony out of the realm of huge, earth-shaking things. So most of us, when I say, hey, you got a testimony? Uh, we, we think of things like, well, I was walking down the street, I met a homeless guy, I preached the gospel to him, he got radically saved, demons came out of him, and now he's Billy Graham. Like, that's like, I don't have one of those. I don't have one of those. But I have a moment where I said, God, I need your peace and your wisdom for this meeting this week. And I sat in that meeting and I was like, God, you gave me all of that and more. That's a testimony. Did you know that? So stop making it huge. Make it just normal. I need help with my kids. Lord, help me. Uh, God showed up here. So I'm going to give you about 30 seconds. I want you to start thinking. Think through your life. Think about something that God did this week. Big, little, small. And here's the thing. Some of you are freaking out right now because you're like, I don't have one. I don't have one. I'll make one up. Don't make one up. We're not going to lie to each other. All right? What you say is, I don't have one. You know what I do when I get around people with lots of testimonies? You know what it makes me want to do? Live a life that produces testimonies. It makes me want to live a life that steps out in faith, that prays more than I should. This is what testimonies do to the body of Christ. They're like, they're like, I don't even, that's like a booster shot. I don't even know what I'm doing right now. I'm just like putting drugs in my veins. Woo! The testimonies. ADD just kicked in hard. We're back. So you got, you got a testimony? 
You have one? Now, if you're here and you're like, I don't have a testimony, that's okay. There's no shame in this. So I want you to turn to the person next to you. And if you're a dad, tell your kids what God did this week. Do it all the time. They should hear out of our mouths all the time. I prayed, Abe, and this is what God did. Wives, talk all the time about how faithful the Lord is. Testify, all right? So I'm going to make you talk to each other on your mark. Get set to the person to your right or left. You have to go. You're, I'm not going to start talking until you do. Testify. All right, if you've done all the talking, let the person talk, let the other person talk. All right, swap. Anybody just feeling super awkward? Oh, just me? Cool, okay. And the teenagers in the back? All right, that's fun. All right, wrap up your stories in like the next 20 seconds, all right? Testify. Do it more. Do it more often. Uh, I feel like uh, a people, you, we are a people. This isn't just about what's happening. This is us as a people before God. We are attached to, covenanted with a supernatural, holy creator of all things, God. Now, if that's true, as a human, you can't put your finger into a light socket and not have something happen. So if you're walking through life this week connected to, I'm not going to call God a light socket, but a supernatural force that is greater than anything and anywhere, things will happen. 
And don't, don't just be like, I demand them to be miraculous things. They can be, like, God answers my prayers. God heard me. God provides peace. God filled me with joy in the middle of despair. This is, this is the people of God, all right? And so we want to make it a normal habit to ask each other, what did God do this week? Tell me what God's done. Herald what God has done. And so like I said, husbands, tell your kids. Tell your kids what God's done. Let them hear it out of your mouth. And don't make it grandiose. Just make it plain, simple, walking with God life, all right? Lamentations, chapter 1, verse 1. It's going to start bleak, guys. It's going to stay bleak for a little bit, and you're not going to be very encouraged that you came to church today. And I'm sorry about that, but I didn't write it, all right? But I will reiterate, I think it's needed in this day and hour for the church to be equipped to walk into despairing situations and declare hope. So if you're here and you go, well, I've never despaired and I've never been depressed and I've never been anxious and my life has been roses and rainbows, well, lucky you. You probably just haven't lived that long, honestly. And so what we're doing is going, okay, we believe in a God that walks into dead situations and declares them alive. We are saying we believe there's a God that even in the midst of cancer, dead babies, and war is still good. Did I just get too serious? Did I get? That's the weight of this. If you look across our globe right now, people are despairing. And what we have is the God of hope and his message of hope to the nations. So I'm not afraid of you if you're despairing, depressed, or anxious. And God's not disappointed in you. I believe he wants to heal and set free some people today from bitterness and wounds that you need to be honest with him about. I want God to heal this body so that we can go in the name of Jesus into very dark places and be light. But if we don't let him shine light even in the dark places in us, how are we going to do that? So Jeremiah is going to tell us what he feels in verse 1 of Lamentations. How deserted lies the city, once so full of people. How like a widow is she who once was great among the nations. She who was queen among the provinces has now become a slave. Now, if you were reading a Hebrew Bible, that would start with the first letter of the Hebrew Bible in alphabet. We don't need to do into that. That's just facts, right? But what he is saying is, everything that God said was going to happen through my mouth happened. My people are in exile. The walls are torn down. The temple is destroyed. We used to be the pride of the nations. We used to have money and wealth and people looked to us, but now we are laid waste. We are being led like slaves away from, we're going the very place we do not want to go. And it's going to continue like this for like the whole book, but for a brief moment, not so much. He continues, verse 15, jump down to verse 15. The Lord has rejected all the warriors in my midst. He has summoned an army against me to crush my young men. In his winepress, the Lord has trampled virgin daughter Judah. This is why I weep and my eyes overflow with tears. No one is near to comfort me, no one to restore my spirit. My children are destitute because the enemy has prevailed. So here's the prophet, the man of God, Jeremiah, all right? God says to him, Go pronounce to my people that if they don't start treating the poor right, if they don't start getting rid of the idols, I'm going to exile them. Now, here's what I know about the word exile. Most of us hear it in a Sunday school, very whitewashed form. Exile is not a family-friendly event. 
It's an invading foreign army, raping, pillaging, and killing. That is what God just brought upon his people in judgment. Anybody like, I don't, I don't like that. Anybody wrestle with that? Are you still smiling and going, wow, peace be to you, brethren. See, so the Bible has stuff in it that we need to look at with honest hearts. God speaks through Jeremiah. They don't like it. They throw him in prison. And now he is hauled off in exile with the very people that he warned. After watching his friends die, probably their kids die, and then them not have anything they need, and now they are in a foreign nation. No kidding, right? Lament, woe, weeping. Then you go into chapter 3, and he's still lamenting. He continues like that. I could read chapter 1, all of it, and chapter 2, and you'd just be like, I am now depressed. So you get to chapter 3, and he's still doing it. So go to chapter 3. We're going to do the 26 verses, and you're going to be like, oh, wow, okay. We're going to be a little bit more despair, and he's going to turn a corner. Because what I would say is, Jeremiah, and this is going to be critical, is telling you how he feels. You hear me? He's telling who? Telling God how he feels. And that is a very different thing than what is true. Your feelings will betray you sometimes. Your feelings will lead you to isolate or lie. God will never. So in chapter 3, he continues with this same line. He says, I am the man who has seen affliction under the rod of his wrath. He has driven and brought me into darkness without any light. Surely against me, he turns his hand again and again the whole day long. And he's going to continue. He's like, I'm driven. Like, uh, like I'm being whipped. I'm being driven into a thing I don't want to be a part of. And it's not even driven into light. It's driven into darkness. No light at all. I don't know where you're leading me. God, why are you taking us here? Why, God? Now, if we were being honest, and first service was pretty honest. It was pretty much everybody. Anybody ever asked why, God? When you want to do an honesty, just put all our hands up, right? And if you haven't, it's because your faith is like this. And all you do is go cherry blossoms and rainbows and sugars and goods. Like, that's you. But there's this depth that takes place when sorrow and despair and like tragedy hits and you go, God's still good in the midst of it. There's a depth of faith that I, I, it gets produced in these places. So he's telling God how he feels, that he's driven into darkness. And then he says in verse 9, and I know he felt this, he has blocked my ways with blocks of stones. He has made my paths crooked. Now, have you ever in your life been like, God, where are you taking me? Why are we going this way? I don't like this at all. I don't want, like, you ever felt like that? Jeremiah is saying it. I never hear anybody say this. Like, I don't like what's happening, but the Lord is good. And you smile. Jeremiah is just not playing games anymore. And he's being very honest with God and with people in a song that the people of God should sing. Now, I know we've already said this. Who is he talking to? He's talking to God. Jeremiah, the prophet of God, is telling God, you've crushed me, you've broken me, I question everything you're doing, I don't feel happy and cheery about what's happening to me or my people. I don't like this, God. So I've said this before, and I, I think you guys, I, how honestly do you talk to God? How honestly do you talk to God? 
And I can usually find like some kind of correlation between how honestly a man or woman talks to God and how deeply they trust him. So if we say that God is our father, that we are sons and daughters, that we are ambassadors, that we are literally saved into friendship with our savior Jesus, why do we hide from him so much? So if you're ticked off at the world, if you don't understand why God didn't heal your dad of cancer, if you don't understand why the baby didn't survive, why wouldn't you talk to the one who actually knows? Instead, we retreat, and then the demons of hell come in and go, see, he doesn't care about you. See, this Jesus stuff doesn't work for you, because Sue, she's always smiling and always says joy and blessing to the Lord, not you. See how that works? And so what we need to do is say, okay, Maybe I do feel some of these things, and I'm going to trust God enough to open up the parts of my heart and go, God, I don't understand any of it, and I'm kind of mad about it. You've, if you've never been in a moment where you've yelled at God in the woods, you're, I was going to say, you're not living yet. <laughs> go out in the woods and start yelling. But you're, I will say this, and I always want to put this, remember who you're talking to. But I've told my kids, hey, you can't watch that movie, and they've mouthed off to me. Or like, hey, no Fortnite today. Why? And I'm like, there's a lot of emotions in that pre-teenage boy. <laughs> like, whoa, <laughs> right? But if I'm God's kid, I can talk to him because he already knows what's in here. He already knows that I'm mad. He already knows that I'm despairing. He already knows that I'm depressed. He already knows that I'm anxious. He already knows. So instead of coming to him and going, blessed father, I just want to tell you I love you. Peace. Like, that's so fake. And so when we look at Lamentations, if for me, I love that it's in the Bible. And so let's, let's continue. I'm going to do a few more verses just to really get that despair in you, you know, just to shove that in there. First four, he has made my flesh and my skin waste away. He has broken my bones. He has besieged and enveloped me with bitterness and tribulation. He has made me dwell in darkness like the dead of long ago. He has walled me about so that I cannot escape. He has made my chains heavy. Though I call and cry for help, he shuts out my prayer. Now, that's a scary thought, right? Jeremiah, Jeremiah the prophet of God, says God's not even listening to my prayers. He's actually shutting them off. And I know that we felt like that. I felt like that. Like, are these working? Or are these bouncing off the ceiling? You ever had those moments? These are real life moments. These are real things of faith. And I've always loved this is in the book. I love the books in the Bible nobody likes. I like Ecclesiastes, and I like Job, and I like Lamentations. You know why? Because they're real life. Because they say, okay, sorrow exists in real life. Being sad exists in real life. Tragedy exists in real life. Questioning the God of everything who knows everything when I know this much exists in real life. And so how do we be a people that don't just go running around with our feelings, but really line up with the truth of the word of God? That's why I like those books. They answer some of those questions. And what he says is, I am literally wasting away, I feel like God. And you can almost hear the emotion in him, that even though, God, I said what you told me to say, I'm weeping now because it's happening. And then he describes God in a way I don't think any of us do. Verse 10 of chapter three, he says, he is a bear lying in wait for me, a lion in hiding. What's your favorite image of God? Is it a bear waiting to maul you? Is that what you tell people? You're sitting up at a cafe and you're reading your Bible and someone's like, oh, you know God, what's he like? He's like a bear 
waiting to maul me. And they're like, oh, <laughs> you just go on your way, sir. <laughs> right? No one, right? But this is Jeremiah telling you what he feels. Verse 11, he turned aside my steps and tore me to pieces. He has made me desolate. He bent his bow and set me as a target for his arrow. He drove it into my kidneys, the arrows of his quiver, and I have become the laughingstock of all peoples. The objects of their taunts all day long, he has filled me with bitterness. He has sated me with wormwood, which is just a really bitter herb. It's like chewing on garlic, but worse. This is Jeremiah once again acknowledging to God and the people, this is his feelings. Ultimately, he doesn't actually think that's the truth. How do I know that? Because he's going to make a real hard turn. And I mean one of the more beautiful turns in the whole Bible. But before we read it, I want to make a point. God wrote this book through men and women and prophets by the Holy Spirit. He put this in there on purpose. And I know some of us are like, could we get another like Zephaniah up in here? Like his banners over me is love. I like that part. This lamenting, I can do without. Can I get another Song of Solomon? Am I right, husbands? You know what I'm saying? Uh, ADD kicked in. I'm back. Right? Because we like that part. But I, the lamentations, the lamenting of the things that have happened on the earth, because I don't understand them and they're horrible, is actually more fitting for the human experience. And so God put this in there, and he could have taken it out. And I have friends, man, and I, all the time I'm like, it's okay if you're suffering. It's okay if you're struggling. It's okay. I'm, like I said, I'm actually here today for the one. The person who barely made it in this room this morning. And you don't think God sees you. You're the one. All the strong ones in the room, I love you, but I'm not here for you. The Lord always turned aside for the one. And that's just been a theme. Like God turns aside for the weak the broken, the destitute. And so if that's you, whew, I'm hoping you'll trust the Lord enough to say, God, will you heal my broken parts? Will you go in and kind of carve out some of that bitterness today? I want us as a body to be healthy and whole from the least to the greatest. I finger quoted the greatest, y'all, all right? If we don't, the Bible expressly says, like in Hebrews 12, see to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God, that no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble, and, maybe, and by it may become defiled. So these, these unspoken things, this despairing, this woundedness, if we hide it and shove it, it becomes bitterness. And bitterness never equals trust or faith. It just, you, it won't let you. Because you're like, I can't trust him with my kids. I can't trust him with my marriage. I can't trust him with my fight. He's never come through. That's bitterness. God can handle your doubts. Did you hear me? God can handle your doubts. God is a big enough God. We don't have to defend him or make a, him prettier than he He is beautiful and wonderful. And I, 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 I've asked him all sorts of questions. And if you haven't, I'm encouraging you. Please, let's do it. Let's talk about, God, how does hell line up with who you are? Am I allowed to say that? Are we in church? Can we be honest? How does that match? I don't understand it. Show me. And then once he did show me, I was like, wow, I want to worship you. So let's talk honestly with God and with each other. And so Jeremiah is saying, this is verbatim, it's worse. It's going to be worse tomorrow. I hope that I die. God is cursing me. That's what Jeremiah just said. 
And if that's you, I want to show you what Jeremiah's about to do. But I want to encourage you to do one very practical thing. I want a lot of us probably need to write our own lament. Like, I have pages in my journal where I'm like, I want this, I want this, I want this, I'm mad about this, what about me? And God's like, are you done yet? And I've literally been out in these woods, there's a prayer trail out there, it's great, no one can hear you, and there's a cornfield on the other side that goes to the middle school, so maybe they heard a raving maniac man yelling in the woods of the church going, God, where are you? Are you going to do something? And you're like, can you talk? Yes, I think you can talk to God like that. Once again, there's a caveat, because if Isaiah sees the Lord and the temple's full of glory, right? And then he's like, woe is me, I'm a man of Uncle Bips. And then he's like, but I got some things to ask you, God. I don't think it's going well for him. So remember who you're talking to, but be honest, all right? Write your own lament. And I do not mean for like Caleb lament. Family friendly, alternative Christian. Like, no, like if you wrote down your true thoughts. I think some of you think you'd be the weirdest one in the room, and I guarantee you, you will not. And then actually write it down and go read it to God. That would be a good exercise for some of us. God, I'll trust you enough to ask you, why did this happen? Can I trust you yet? And so he turns after yelling his feelings to God, and in verse 21 of chapter 3, a profound, I mean, the best transition in the whole Bible. And I know that's a big statement, guys. Thank you. I really do think. But this I call to mind. Six words. You're like, that's not profound. Oh, it is. So he's over here in his feelings, in his environment, in what's happened to him. And he's like, woe is me. My flesh is falling off. You've made me chew on gravel. I, you're like a bear waiting to maul me. That's all feeling. And then he goes, but this I'm going to call to mind. This I'm going to bring right front and center. I'm going to dwell on it, which is what I think a large capacity of people in this room need to learn how to do. It's spiritual warfare. Now, you can't really control sometimes what you remember. And this is plaguing some of you. Memories come back, and then you dwell on them. And then you sit there, and you just play this TV screen. But this is something I've learned over there. You can actually control what you think about. You really can. And there's a reason the Bible talks about us having the mind of Christ. Except some of us, we don't know how to wield the word in a way that makes us do warfare against some of this stuff. So Jeremiah is very honest. This is what I feel, God. This is what I'm remembering. This is what I'm seeing. But, but this is what I'm going to bring into my mind now. Now, men, you can only think about one thing anyway, so it doesn't matter. But let's say you start thinking about what Frank did you at your work all those years ago. That's a thought that you can literally go, I will not think about that anymore. And I will think about what is the true thing of God. That, does that make sense? Now, women, you, I hear you can think about 800 things at a time. I don't know how to help you. So we'll have to get a woman up here. But all I'm saying is when these memories come in, and sometimes what we need to do is make war against those things and go, my feelings aren't true. What God says is true. And that is what Jeremiah is about to do. He says this, but this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I will have hope in him. The Lord is good to those who wait for him, to the soul who seeks him. It is good that one should wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. 
Amen? Now, this section of Lamentations gets quoted more than any other. It's probably on a coffee mug somewhere. I guarantee it. New mercies every day, right? And it gets white, it gets ruined of all its meaning. Here's Jeremiah in the depths of despair going, I remember all this stuff. I remember and I see it and I hate it, God. And then he goes, but I'm not going to dwell on that. I'm going to declare over my mind and bring to mind this true thing. And he lists three. But I'll see verse 24 first. He says, the Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I will hope in him. And I believe this is one of the bigger things we have to learn how to do. And we know it, but we got to know it. He says, the Lord is my portion. And portion is huge for the Jews. So God comes to Moses, gets the people through the wilderness, says, I'm going to bring you to a land flowing with milk and honey. It will be your portion. And then the tribes, the 12 tribes of Israel, they all get a portion of the land, except the Levites, but we're not going into the nuances, all right? But they all get a portion. Jeremiah says, I don't have any land and I barely have any people left. But the Lord is my portion. I get the better thing. Do you see what he's doing? He's going, I don't have the greatest circumstances right now, and the past like month has really sucked, but what I know is true. The Lord is my portion, and he's the better thing. And I say that we need to learn this because we know that God's better, but if you have God, you have the best thing. If you have God and he's your portion, he's better than anything you can list. Except what's happened in American Christianity is we've mingled the idea that God and. But that's not biblical Christianity. It's God alone. New Testament Christians. did. They, whew, I'm about to start preaching. I gotta calm down. New Testament Christians were fed to lions picked babies out of the trash as the Romans threw them away and raised them as their own. Nowhere in there, do you, I think that they were like, this is great. I love this. Lion, would you like my loins or would you like my bicep? I don't think they did that. I don't think they were like, raising an adopted kid that's not my own, that's disfigured probably, because that's why the Romans threw him out. That I, that's what I want to spend my life doing. But this is what they said. To live is Christ and to die is gain. And die they did. And they went, wow. Why? God is their portion. Except what we do is we go, well, because it's not working out how I want, and I don't get the job that I want, and I, where, where's my labradoodle and my picket fence and my nice American experience? I thought God was our portion. So either he's not, or we've attached something to Christianity that should never have been attached. God is our portion. He's better than anything. That idea, that singular idea, if we can, I meditate on it. I don't even know how to get it into you. But it's that revelation that God is better than anything on earth. That he satisfies in the depths of despair. If God's my portion, my dad can die of cancer and I can go, he is good. We'll talk about that in a second. Even when the kid doesn't make it. Even when the jobs fall off. God's my portion. That's what Jeremiah is doing. And I could dare to say that he's having a little worse day than you are. Right? I could dare to say. And here's the thing. I know that we could go around this room right now and we could all testify like, some of you have had really bad lives. And I'm sorry. 
Like, and that, here's the thing. If we went around, I bet we could find someone that had it worse. And that's the thing. Like right now in third world countries where they love Jesus and they're murdering you for doing that, all those guys are like, yeah, I get to die for Jesus. And we're like, Susan doesn't like me. So awkward being a Christian in America. What? And it's all rooted in God's my portion. So if everyone on earth hates me, but God's my portion, I'm good. So when I look at this, the Lord is my portion, says my soul, therefore I will hope in him. I don't have land and I don't have good experience, but I have the Lord. Do you have the Lord? Do you have the Lord? And we say we do, but let's start walking like we do. Because we're not shaken when we hide in him. Jeremiah's not shaking, but he's doing warfare, you see? I have days where I wake up, and I'm not in a great mood. I'm like, this, this life sucks. It's going to suck tomorrow, and it's going to suck till I see you. I can't wait to get to heaven. Anybody else? Right? That's a very high, sovereign, Calvinistic, reformed view of life, but whatever, all right? But what he's saying is God is my portion now, right here. And he says those three things. The Lord is my portion. His steadfast love never ceases. So why would he say that after all he's gone through? Can you say that right now? The love of God never ceases. It always comes for me. This is true, you know that? So just walk through some biblical history. And we've been reading the Bible all year, so we should know it a little bit. Uh, God, Adam and Eve, sin. God promises them, I'm going to come after you. I'm going to make a way for you to come back to me. You go through all the, the, the patriarchs and Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. You get to Joseph. Joseph's thrown in a well. And he's like, this is bad. This is a bad day. Sold into slavery, sold into Potiphar's house, and then accused of adultery. Thrown into prison. This is worse. But then God uses it, does he not? And puts him in a place that he's up over Egypt. And then God saves the people of Israel, but then they get thrown into slavery. But then Moses comes, and he leads them out into freedom, and then they walk through the desert for 40 years. God always, his love never ceases. It's always coming after you. And God is pursuing some of you this morning. I don't even say some of you. The love of God has never ceased for you. You're like, how can you say that? The cross of Jesus Christ stands and declares it for the rest of eternity. That God is for you. There's no wrath left. All you got to do is say, yes, God, I trust you. Cleanse me of my sin. Make me a new creation. That's it. Now for the rest of my days, I can declare with Jeremiah, the Lord is my portion and his love never ceases. Why? The cross that's it. And you're like, that's simple. That's it. That's it. And there's this moment that I think you really hear the gospel. I actually heard this yesterday when you realize how that it's too good to be true. That God will take my sin away. That God's going to cleanse me. That God's never going to abandon me even when life's horrible. Yes. The Lord is my portion. His steadfast love never ceases. Therefore, I will hope in him. But then he continues with the most quoted verses of Lamentations. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. And so there's two sides, I believe, to suffering. Did you hear that? Yes, Lord. Two sides to suffering. One is a very reformed, Calvinistic idea that like, all right, life sucks, but we'll get to heaven and we'll see him one day. 
And then there's this other side, which is more like the Joseph side of things, like God is going to work my tragedy for good. And I think both those views are kind of incomplete. And what we need to do is kind of marry those two things and see that, yes, God is working in a plan, but God is working now. And it's not just all sovereignty and harshness, but it's this beauty of right now, his mercies never come to end. They are new every morning. So this morning, when you woke up, before you even had that first tangible thought, there is this moment that you can run to God and go, God, your mercies are new for me right now. And I run into Jesus, not away from him. And I step into the grace of God, not out of it. And I join with you in your kingdom and not mine. This new mercy was there this morning. What about tomorrow? What about the next day? What about the next day? You want me to keep going? Now, every day, till you draw your last breath and open your eyes to see King Jesus sitting on a throne, and you go, it's so good to be here. Every day, new mercies. And why can I say that? Because my sin has been separated from me as far as the east is from the west. So every morning I wake up, it should be giddy. I, I get to participate in the mercies of God. So that means nothing holds you anymore if you're a Christian in this room. And when we look at this idea of new mercies, what it says to me is it's not new mercy one day in heaven, it's new mercy when I woke up this morning, which is the mercy of God on the earth today. John preached this last week, guys. Like it was a beautiful sermon. He said, Psalm 27, I shall look upon the goodness of the Lord in the land of the the living. So it's not just pie in the sky, one day I hope this thing gets sorted out. It's right now. God is working and showing off his mercy in trophies of grace. It's you and me. Habakkuk, which is another book we don't read, but says something very similar. Though the fig tree should not blossom, nor fruit beyond the vines, the produce of the olive fail, and the fields yield no food, the flock be cut off from the fold, and there be no herd in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. God, the Lord, is my strength. The Lord is good to those who wait for him, to the soul who seeks him. It is good that one should wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. Almost verbatim, Habakkuk says what Jeremiah says in Lamentations. Even though none of it's good, and I can't quite see it, I'll trust the Lord, because he's my portion, and I'll wait for his salvation. I expect, I expect, to see the goodness of the God in the land of the living in my family, in this family, tomorrow when I wake up, I expect it. Why? Not because I'm demanding, because he's that good. And he's pouring it out. And so if his mercies are new every morning, and like I said, I'm here for the one, maybe you're in here and you're like, I just can't quite see it. It's dark right now, Andrew. I can't see. I'm suffering. I'm questioning. And I'm like, welcome. I would love to hug you, right? I think there's three things, primarily that God does often, and I can see them in scripture, with our pain and in suffering. And we'll go quick, because I gotta stop talking. But I think the first thing that God's doing in a lot of things is he's pursuing his agenda, not yours, which irks humans for some reason. Like, why can't you get on my timeline, God? Why can't you get my agenda? Like, what's going on here, right? But God is in his agenda is to bring salvation to the ends of the earth. This is what God is doing right now. His desire is that none should perish, that all should come to salvation. That's his desire. And he's using who to do that? 
you and me. And so his agenda doesn't always fit mine, and I certainly can't see always what he's doing. So I'll use an example I've used a lot, but my dad died of cancer, 10-year battle, and there's a lot of whys at the end of that. A lot of whys, a lot of doubt, a lot of pain, a lot of like, all right, God, I don't understand your agenda. But what it's led to is there's more moments now where I'm in rooms with people just wrought with cancer, praying the life of God over them and declaring the gospel than ever in my life. Why? Because God used his agenda to get me into places where I could declare the gospel. And here's what I'll say. And this is going to sound callous. It's not. I know where my dad is. I do. I think he likes where he is more than I like where I am. Amen? And so now I get to look people who are questioning if God likes them or not because cancer's ruining their bodies and go, Jesus hates cancer. And he loves you. Well, you want to you meet him the rest of your life? And yes. So like, there's this, this agenda of God that's not my agenda, and it's frustrated me so many times in my life. It might be frustrating you right now, but God has a better agenda than you. Do we want to join his, or do we want to get stuck up in ours? I'd rather be in his. Two, he's purifying your heart in some of this pain, in some of this suffering, and all of this. Sometimes what I've found is God, God will actually tear down my kingdom to show me how much I don't care about his. It's a lot of times like prying the hands off a kid with candy because it'll give them a tummy ache or forcing medicine down somebody's throat when they don't want it like a dog, you know, like that. God is ruining some of you right now to attach you to the very thing that will only satisfy and save your soul. It would not be a God of love if he was like, eh, have fun in hell. That would not be love. Instead, he's like, I'm gonna crush you for a season that you might come to me and return to me. This is what he did with the people of God in Israel. This is what he's done over and over and over again. And we're like, how could you? He's like, ultimately, I'm trying to save you. And so God, he's purifying many of our hearts. And I've gone through these seasons, man, where it's like, why are you tearing down everything? He's like, because I'm, I'm more interested in your heart than I am anything else. And then I think the third one, he's preparing you for ministry. Now, here's what I, I would like. I'm going to baptize you, not baptize. I'm going to anoint you all as, as ministers. Ready? Ministers. Good. Feel better? Because what we do is we go, well, this is the arena of ministers, and this is the arena, I don't know what you want to call yourself, of the flock, of the body. You are ministers of the gospel of reconciliation, ambassadors of the almighty God. Go proclaim the goodness of the excellencies of his character. Go. You are ministers. I'm a minister, you're a minister, you're, everybody's a minister, I'm Oprah up in here. You're a minister of the gospel, right? And what I've learned is, okay, I used to hate hospital rooms. I used to say, John's good at that, I'm bad at that. You don't want me in a hospital room, I'm kind of awkward. And I still am, but I love hospital rooms. There was a couple moments sitting in a hospital room weeping with people that formed me to minister better than any seminary level class. Jesus loves hospital rooms. Maybe not loves them. He lives in them. Hospital rooms, funeral parlors, brokenness. Those things were training grounds for ministry for me. And so some of you are going through what you're going through so that you might minister the gospel and the hope of God in dark places. The whole earth is dark right now. 
They need very bright Christians who aren't afraid of it, who aren't like, you shouldn't feel that way. They need to know it's okay. I'm broken some days, but God makes me whole. And God is my portion. And so he's preparing you for ministry, ministering out of what pain sometimes is powerful. Paul talked about this in 2 Corinthians 1. He said, like, I'm broken and I'm constantly shipwrecked and beaten. But you know why? So that I can be all things to all people. So I think God taught Paul to love and understand people by literally breaking him. I mean, he blinded the guy, shipwrecked the guy. And you're like, what's he doing to me? I'm probably forming you for ministry. A.W. Tozer, one of my favorite authors, actually, I think my favorite one right now, he's dead, but whatever. Uh, for God to use you greatly, he must first wound you deeply. And I know we don't like that because we all want blessing and happy houses, and, but that's, this is true. I'm testifying, this is true. For God to use you greatly, he must ruin you for the earth and set aside your heart for his kingdom alone. And if some of you are going through the ringer right now, I don't think God, that means God's done with you. I think that's God's prepping you. So don't listen to the lie of Satan. He's a very bad liar. So what do you do in your despair? And here's what I will say to you, two things. Number one, be honest. Be honest with God this week. More honest than you ever have been. Be honest with God first, all right? Be honest with him. Tell him everything you feel and what you think and where you doubt. He's big enough. He's a big dad. Like, I love that I can tell God everything because he already knows it. Two, find a trustworthy person to be honest with as well. One person. Not, not, not your whole high school, not Facebook. Certainly not Facebook. Find that one person. Be like, this is where I'm at. Help me walk by faith. Help me trust God. Help me and tell them exactly where you are, all right? I think this is both being honest with God and man. But this I call to mind is the very important thing that you're going to do. It's not about what you remember. It's not about what was done to you. It's not about any of that. It's about getting before us. This is what's true about God. And I think I used an illustration first service and it comes to mind again, so I'll do it again. I, I think it, it, it's an easy battle to win for some of us. Because what runs your phone is not Jesus. What runs your life is not Jesus, it's your phone. You could win this battle in your mind simply because your phone wakes you up and then by the time you know it, you're like eight hours into TikTok and you're like, why am I so anxious? I wonder why. So a very easy step is, I think 33% of the battle is, I will not put in front of my face the very first thing in my phone, I'll put the Lord. And I will meditate upon his truth and I will bring to mind. And I keep saying that because I can't control sometimes what I remember. Like I'll just be somewhere and I'll be like, all of a sudden a horrible memory will come back about cancer, about a wreck or about that thing. And I'll just start thinking about it. And then all of a sudden you gotta be like, but you choose what you call to mind. Did you hear me? It's true. Some of you are just really bad at it. I'm bad at it some days. But you choose what you call to mind. And you call to mind what you know. So let's know this so we can call it to mind and do spiritual warfare and think like Jesus, therefore act like Jesus. Do the work. And so here's what I'll say. I don't know where you are in this room. Like I said, I really do feel like that one idea, you barely made it in this room. I want to do that work right now. So the band's going to come up. I'm done talking. I don't know what else to say. So. But uh, when we get to the topics of despair, like, 
sorrow, sadness, depression, anxiety. God's not disappointed in you. Like God's not mad at you. I think God's pursuing you in love and can set you free. And the sooner you trust him, the sooner you don't have to walk in all of this for so long. And that's what we're gonna do today. So I'm gonna pray and I'm gonna put you in a place of prayer and we're gonna worship in response. And at the end, I'm gonna say, hey, get out of here if you don't feel like you need prayer. But I'm 100% convinced that some of you need to stick around and we need to lay hands on you and ask God to kind of break that exterior that you built and deal with the bitterness and deal with the pain and deal with the rage and deal with the depression. And then that this whole body can be whole and healthy. And then we're gonna run and build the kingdom of God together. But first, first stop, let's be like Jeremiah and be honest about our feelings and then go, but I'm gonna dwell on the truth of God. Jesus, you're good and this is all your worth. And so Lord, I just, we sit, we, as brothers and sisters bought by the blood of the lamb, we sit before you and we just wanna be, I wanna be honest with you, God. I thank you that my sin is taken from me. I don't ever have to question if you're mad at me, if you like me. The cross declares it. But Lord, I pray right now for the one. I pray for the person that feels broken, that feels dirty, that feels unused and unwanted, almost that can hear the lie that that Jesus stuff works for other people, but I don't know if it's working for me. Holy Spirit of the living God, would you come? And would you minister deep places in us? I pray that every person, every person at Cobblestone, you would do soul level healing. The wounds that we don't show to anyone. You are a great physician, a healer. Heal in the name of Jesus. Where we're angry, where we're a little bit just not, not trusting you, God. Would you poke on us? Would you draw us into deeper places of trust? And so Holy Spirit, right now for every person, would you just, would you poke on something? Would you just reveal a place that we can trust you more? And if it's wounds, God, would you heal? If it's baggage, would you cut that loose? So I, I just want you guys, would you just start, would you just have a, start being honest with God. Thank you for joining us today. If you need prayer for anything, you can email us at prayer at cobblestonechurch.com or you can go on our website at www.cobblestonechurch.com and submit it there. We'd love to pray for you. Have a great week and God bless.